RP. Um, good to see you guys. Welcome to Theology on the Ground, uh, Foster Care and Adoption Edition. Um, so Mark, do you want to actually open us up in prayer? And we'll jump into a, a creed. So Father, we come before you in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we believe that you are doing a work in us and through us and even uh, in events like this that you would uh, form and shape our heart to be closer to your heart. Um, Lord, give us eyes to see what you have for our church and for us as individuals today as we think about something that's near and dear to your heart. Make it near and dear to our hearts as well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't we connect ourselves to our connect ourselves to our uh, Christian family heritage? So let's uh, pull out your phones and pull up the Apostles' Creed. If you go on Google, I think the the first one that pops up is uh, it's by a website, Reformed something something. And at least we'll at least we'll all have the same version. I believe in God, God the, the Father, Father Almighty, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. Seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and to life everlasting. Amen. 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 And just because I'm always trying to give plugs to our next Redemption Institute course, but um, Meredith right now could explain to you what um, he descended to hell means. So you should sign up for the next class as we jump into some theology. Um, From Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, to the final book, Revelation, we we see that, that God deeply cares for our topic this morning. Um, Psalm 68.5 says, God is a father to the fatherless. In the New Testament, James 1.27 says, religion that God our Father accepts. Talk about theology on the ground. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, um, before we, we jump in, just, just kind of a quick, here's how, the, the rules of engagement. Last time we met, we had Alex Harris here. I asked him a bunch of questions, and then we had kind of questions and answers at the end. This time we have quite a few panelists, um, and after every time I ask a question, we'll probably have a group, either discussion or you know, or Q&A time. And, and so if we have time at the very end, we'll do a, a Q&A for everybody. But that's kind of how it'll go. Um, I, I usually try to set the tone in our discussions um, with some theology of our topic. But since Pastor Mark is up here and up first, he's going to do that for us. Um, but I do want to start with a quote from a pretty good book on adoption by Russell Moore called Adopted for Life. 
I recommend it. But I want to read a quote just to set a tone for what I already see in our church as a culture of our church, but I want it to continue to grow. Um, he, he says, The gospel of Jesus Christ means our families and churches ought to be at the forefront of the adoption of orphans close to home and around the world. As we become more attuned to the gospel, we'll have more of a burden for orphans. As we become more adoption-friendly, we'll be better able to understand the gospel. It is one thing when the culture doesn't get adoption. What else could one expect when all of life is seen as the quest, as the quest for selfish genes for survival? It is one thing when the culture doesn't get adoption and so speaks of buying a cat as adopting a pet. But when those who follow Christ think the same way, we betray we betray that we miss something crucial about our own salvation. Adoption is not just about couples who want children or who want more children. Adoption is about an entire culture within our churches, a culture that sees adoption as part of our great commission mandate and as a sign of the gospel itself. Amen? So, Mark, before we get really practical, and that's what this theology on the ground is going to be. Um, I would love if, if you could set the, the, the theological mood for us um, with the biblical doctrine of adoption. And why does the theological doctrine of adoption have real implications for actual adoption and foster care? Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here and um, glad to also step down and have the other panelists come up and just share just some ground level stuff of what they're doing. But um, yeah, I think it's important to start with the why of adoption, to start with theology and all things. But um, I think most people in our culture would, would in some way, shape or form, at least give a, a tip of the hat, a, a nod saying, yeah, adoption is probably good. Foster care is probably good. And and they would say things like, well, I could never do that. I'm so glad that you do that. Or um, they, they, would, they would have a value for it, but not, maybe not know the why behind, uh, behind it. They would have what, what we'd call borrowed ethical capital from the Judeo-Christian worldview. And the Judeo-Christian worldview in, from the Bible has a, a, a rich, deep theology of adoption that I, I want to just like highlight real quick um, to, to really understand this. And the, the, the doctrine of adoption begins with the Imago Dei. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that God has created men and women, boys and girls, everyone in the image of God. And, and it's the image of God that is uh, the worth that they have, uh, that's intrinsic, that uh, doesn't matter where they live or what time or what culture or what caste they come from. They have the image of God and therefore they're valuable. Uh, but then the fall comes in and begins to mar that image, twist that image. The image gets taken advantage of. Brokenness comes into the world and um, we see after Genesis chapter 3 this downward spiral uh, into uh, the flood and then to, the, the, to Babylon. And it's just this downward spiral. But at, at Genesis chapter 12, a shift happens and God is trying to turn back all things back to wholeness. So there's brokenness and God wants to pursue wholeness. And this is the idea of what, what we talk about when we talk about biblical justice. 
Um, so, biblically speaking, uh, it, it's a bit different than uh, just the American ideas of the justice system. We, we tend to think of justice as retributive or punitive. So you did something wrong and you need to pay for that. Now, the Bible certainly has that, those aspects of justice, but biblical justice is restorative, uh, meaning it, it's trying to turn back the curse and, and renew uh, the, the, the effects of, of the fall back to what, where they want. So restorative justice is uh, taking that which is broken and trying to bring healing. That's why uh, pursuit of foster care and, and, and uh, adoption is doing justice. And um, a lot of times people think, even in our day and age, like, oh, we can't talk about that, or that's too political. No, biblical justice is saying, uh, because the image of God matters, and there's image bearers that are suffering, uh, God's people step into that, because God stepped into that. So, as the redemption plan begins to unfold, there, there begins to be these, this, what I'll call a triad that comes to, to the surface throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, and it's the triad of the foreigner, the widow and the orphan. The foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. It just gets echoed time and time and time and again. In fact, it's echoed the very first time in the book of Exodus um, after God has called his people out of slavery and he is creating and forming a people and he's saying uh, that this people who's going to res- be a part of my res- rest- restoration project in the world is going to look like this. And he gives them some so some ways to live. In, in Exodus chapter 22, we see this uh, the first time where it says, um, uh, verse 21 says, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you are foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your, your wives will become widows and your, your, your children fatherless. God takes this very seriously, that his people would be part of the biblical justice of restoring all things. Well, this continues to get rolled out throughout the rest of the Old Testament. We see uh, just an example, Deuteronomy 10.18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And so... Um, we, as God's people, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, are continually called to reflect God's priorities. And um, just by repetition, you see this as a huge priority in God's heart. Um, and there's this repeated refrain, seek justice. Seek justice for the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. But by the time you get to the New Testament, it goes even deeper. Uh, the, the idea of adoption starts to come through the lens of, of, of theology in the sense of our own adoption as sons and daughters into uh, the family of God. And so we see this in Romans and Ephesians and James, uh, what we just read. Galatians uh, says it like this, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. This is Christmas, this is Advent. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. So Christmas is about adoption. Um, And and so you you start to see, especially uh, as it gets fleshed out in the New Testament, just how personal this is to God. And I want to read to you um, a quote from J.I. Packer. There's, There's really only two books that I outside of the Bible that I suggest every Christian read. And that'd be J.I. Packer's Knowing God and R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God. 
If you, if you got those two, you'll, you'll get locked down. But in his, his chapter on sons and daughters of and God. And his wife is an author. So. <laughs> That's right. You don't have to read all of her books. Thank you for that. She's in the kids' room right now. So, so here's so so Packer is unpacking the um, the doctrine of adoption and us being sons of God. Here, here's what he says, and he's comparing it to another doctrine that we love and that we probably preach far more than we preach on adoption. Is the doctrine of justification? But this is what it says. He says, but this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because it is a it, because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Justification is a forensic idea, conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. In justification, God declares of penitent, penitent believers that they are not and never will be liable to the death that their sins deserve because Jesus Christ, their substitute and sacrifice tasted death in their place on the cross. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs, closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is greater. So, again, it's close to his heart. I've got to unlock it with my face. Sorry. Um, so, uh, but, but here's what we know, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and from our own pursuits of adoption, and God's pursuit of adoption of us, is all adoption is born out of brokenness. Our adoption was made possible by Christ's broken body and shed blood. The children we pursue all come from a place of brokenness. And that brokenness remains present in them after they join your family. And so I want to just theologically even caution us. There are similarities and then there are limits. We pursue these things out of a pursuit of Christ-likeness. And that's right and that's good. However, we are not Christ. We are not our own kid's savior, let alone our adopted kid's savior. Christ will never fail us, but we will fail him and we will fail our children and our adopted children along the way. So we remember the gospel. We seek encouragement. We get training. We lean on the Lord. If you're called to this, uh, whether it's foster care or adoption, it will be very hard. It will be very costly um, to you and your family and your other children. There will be tears. It's still good. But it's so important to not have uh, a Messiah complex in adoption. Because other people will give it to you. Like when when we adopted, they'll say stuff like, oh, she must be so lucky to have you guys. Like, I think we're the lucky ones, but um, they, they will only see it in very shallow terms, but they won't be there when that brokenness comes to the surface. And so, um, and it does, it doesn't matter if you're adopted from birth or a 12 year old, year old like we did. So just want to give that caution, that limits. We do want to pursue Christ likeness. We do want to hear God's heart on this, uh, but we are also sinners that need Christ in the process as well. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark.
if you can share your ex experience. Sure. And I was talking to Jennifer, obviously, about this yesterday. Uh, we we try to be pretty careful because it's her story and not ours as much. Um, and so uh, Jennifer, when she's talking publicly on this, she wouldn't share these things. But since we're talking to our church, we'll, we'll share a few few more details. Um, so our daughter, Rebecca, she's now 24. Um, we, as newlyweds, her, the founder of her orphanage in Thailand had come to our church, Colorado Community Church, uh, and was just looking for kids sponsors. And so we said, yeah, whoever will, will sponsor the kid. Uh, long story short, we moved to Okinawa. We began taking mission teams to Thailand to visit her. Uh, her parents both died of AIDS when she was four years old. She remembers it. Um, she was in the hospital. She remembers that. Um, she, she's told us stories of what happened after that and just the tragedy of all that. Um, and again, we were pretty ignorant. We're, we're sending teams. We're visiting. Um, at a certain point, uh, we felt uh, we, should, we should pursue this. We felt like God was calling us to that. And um, She was nine years old, and we began to pursue it. And... Uh, it took three years, and we continued to visit. Um, she knew we were pursuing the whole time, so that was really hard uh, for her, especially. Uh, we eventually had to move to Thailand and try to work daily through the court system to bring her home. There's good laws in place that, that don't allow you to know your child before you do an international adoption, so we didn't know what we were doing. We just said, we know this girl, we want to adopt her, uh, but it took, took a long time. Um, and then when she came into our home, uh, then it was, you know, like I said, there, there's, she's coming from 12 years of brokenness. And um, we, we had some training, but not nearly as much as you should have. Um, and by God's grace, like through the ups and downs over the years, uh, you know, we have a good relationship with her. We have good conversations about, uh, even, even in that, she's like, I'm, I'm, she said recently, so grateful that you adopted me. But it's really hard. It's really hard to have left Thailand and to always be an outsider. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, Mark. Let's transition now to uh, Lauren and Kenneth. You guys can come up here. These guys are, are, are representing safe families. Um, but Lauren, adopting a, a child is not the only way one can get involved in caring for orphans and widows in their trouble. Uh, Ryan reminded us of safe families a couple week back, a couple weeks back during announcements. But many of us don't know exactly what safe families is and how one can get involved. So, can you speak just on behalf of safe families? Sure. So, Safe Families, its tagline is Children Safe Families Together. So, in a nutshell, that's what it is, and that's what it's working towards. Um, but to really understand and put yourself in the perspective of some of the families that you're helping. So, I'm really humbled when I think that if Ryan and I were to hit a crisis, we have so many circles of support around us. We have our biological family, we have um, our church family, we have friends and relationships that we've made in different contexts. So, realistically, my cell phone would be very full of people that I could call if uh, we hit a crisis point. But imagine that a crisis hits and you look at your phone and there's no one to call and there's no one to text, there's no one to ask for help. And you're in that type of isolated environment, something 
unfortunate bad happens, maybe a, a call gets made um, to Child Protective Services, and all of a sudden, on top of that isolation you were already facing and the lack of resources you were already facing and these circumstances of crisis, you now are dealing with a crisis of having to fight for your kids to keep them. And um, so that is essentially uh, how Safe Families came to be. So Dave Anderson is the president uh, or founder of Safe Families. He founded it in Chicago. And uh, I believe he was a psychologist as his background. And so he was interacting with this mother and uh, he admittedly was feeling pretty frustrated with her because her child had become a victim of um, abuse. And um, so he, but as he was digging back some of those layers, some of the circumstances that were surrounding it was that she had been sick herself. She had, uh, if she missed one more day of work, she literally could not, uh, would lose her job. And that was going to further impoverish their family. Um, And so she made uh, what now we know is a really terrible decision to leave this child with a boyfriend. And the boyfriend ended up abusing the child. And then she got CPS. CPS got involved um, from there, and then she was fighting for her child. And so Dave Anderson was like, what if we if we could just avoid this whole situation altogether, what would that look like? And so that's kind of where the, that was the seed of the idea for him for creating safe families. Like what if we just match this mom with a caring family who could provide a safe home for eight hours while the mom went to work and then she went home and could continue working towards, um, you know, the goals that her family has. And so, um, that's essentially where, where it started. And he really began to rethink the foster care system. Um, I always say, uh, especially when I'm working alongside Julie and Jen, that this is a, a very similar stream. It's just working a little bit proactively up the stream um, of, of what, will, what will inevitably fall down if intervention isn't made. Um, and so that's really where the seed idea for Safe Families came to be. Um, so it... You, uh, when you look at the foster care system, there's definitely situations where um, we're so grateful for the intervention and for, for the children to be removed from the home. But a lot of times, um, the families are facing some sort of crisis, like lack of resources, um, uh, substance abuse, um, homelessness, uh, job insecurity, uh, hospitalizations, things like that. And so, um, and and then when their children are taken, um, it just becomes a harder uphill fight. And so that's essentially what Safe Families is, is stepping in um, into these crisis situations and providing care. I uh, looked at the statistics for what the reunification rate is for uh, foster care. And the most recent data I found for the state of Colorado um, was in 2020, but our reunification rate in foster care for in Colorado in 2020 was 57%. So if it gets to the point of foster, or if it gets to the point of a child entering the foster care system, the reunification is like about 50% uh, if they're going to get back to to their families. Whereas with um, safe families, when you can provide some really helpful intervention early on, the safe family rate as an organization is 95%. Um, So it really makes a really huge impact catching families before. Um, And so that's essentially uh, what safe families does. And so some of the... um, So some of the ways that you can get involved, um, you can get involved as a host family. So Ken and I are both serving as host, serve and have served as host families. That's when you're taking uh, kids into your home for a short-term period of time. Um, 
and I'll let Kenna share all of her experiences. We've had a few. Um, ours have been due to like hospitalizations of the parent um, and also um, a 10 day incarceration that, um, that had to be served. And so um, that's one option. Uh, everyone, we've gotten a little grouping at Redemption Parker of other families. And so we're all serving as family friends. Um, and so family friends is coming around the family and providing support. And it can look so varied. I think that's why it's really hard to put safe families uh, to very succinctly tell anybody what you're doing because you're helping a family that's like on the brink of a crisis. And that crisis can be really wide and varied. Mm-hmm. So we just helped a mom that was about to lose children due to the unclean state of her home. So it could look like that. It could look like bringing meals. It could look like transportation. It could look like babysitting. Um, if you guys know Caleb Johns, is Caleb in here? Woohoo! Um, Caleb is a family friend for uh, someone who their mom has uh, is um, on a transplant list and so has dialysis appointments and he uh, keeps the keeps her son uh, for her for those appointments um, we have uh, Heather and Michael Rouse which I don't think they're here uh, but they babysit for a mom who's graduated from the Joshua station uh, program and she is getting some education at night and so Heather babysits so that she can um, complete her classes um, so those are just a few of the a few of the family friend situations in our church. Um, you can be a resource person, and this is one area that Ryan and I are really trying to work towards, um, which I don't want to steal any care portal thunder. <laughs> That's coming for later, but um, we are able, and I don't want to steal Sandy's thunder <laughs> for the resource closet, but we are able to, we want to find a way. Right now, it feels like resourcing. Our church is a fabulous job at. So we're just trying to figure out like how to streamline the resourcing for safe families, maybe even utilizing some of these other um, these other means. And then uh, you can be a safe families church, which is what we are trying to be, where like safe families is a ministry of our local church. And I can just test, I, because I served in safe families um, alone where it was just Ryan and I for a little season. And that was already with us being in this larger support of just the culture of our church. But there's so many individuals who serve with safe families who are just like the only one and their church. And I can just attest to like how uh, much of a blessing it is to just have a community embracing it. And it makes it so much more sustainable. And so, um, yeah. And then to reference, uh, I probably just the last thing I'd want to say is to reference what uh, Ryan got to talk with Dave Anderson a couple weeks ago. And he kind of referenced that on stage the other day. And so Dave was sharing about when he um, tried to get this approved in uh, in the Chicago area that the mayor was all on board, but he's like, it's not going to work. <laughs> and it was kind of the same here. It, getting established in Denver, uh, it, there's it's an uphill battle for safe families to get established in a, in a city. Um, and thankfully, that groundwork has already been laid over the past like four or five years. But um, Dave Anderson's mayor friend was like, it won't work because the culture hates kids, <laughs> which is just so interesting, the quote that you just read from Russell Moore, because like that makes sense. Like We understand that. We see that. But that he also made the indictment that the church doesn't practice what they preach when it comes to, um, when it comes to caring for orphans and widows. And so I would just encourage you, like there is a way that you can be involved um, from as as little of an investment as resourcing to uh, bringing a meal to as big of an investment as um, becoming a host family and bringing a child into your home um, or going on to get further involved 
further downstream in the in the foster care system. So, yeah, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. It, if you want, if you're curious about becoming a host family, what does it look like to get certified and work through all that? Yeah. Thanks for segueing that for me. We, uh, so Ken and I are taking, and you may speak on this in a second, we are trying to serve as the ministry leads, which is just like the liaisons between safe families and our church. Um, so we really want to make a big push at the beginning of the year to get as many people from Redemption Parker involved in safe families as possible. Um, this is always like, it's an, like, the needs will be presented and you can decide. There's no, um, like you opt in, you choose, um, but we want to have as many people on board as possible. So um, Christetta, who is our current Denver chapter leader, she is going to come probably at the end of February and we are going to have like an expedited training. So like all the training that it would take you online to do, I don't know, eight, 12 hours of training online. She's going to come and do it at the church. So um, we're probably going to have a little informational meeting sometime in January. And then, Lord willing, in uh, the end of February, we will... Um, we will have that meeting. So we're trying to create this outlet where if you want to get involved in safe families, that it's really easy and really expedited. Um, and then there are like background checks, forms, you have to fill out things like that as well. But it's all online. If you just felt like you don't want to wait for that, you want to get involved today, you could just go onto the website and it's pretty user-friendly for becoming a, a safe family volunteer. Wow. And when you become that and you get certified and then you're put in that pool, how does it work um, in regards to, to um, opportunities? Um, do they reach out to you via call? Is, is it, how often is this happening? Um, yeah. So right now, uh, Crescetta sends out a, um, you get, once you're approved and you can actually take like some of these placements, um, you receive, it's a Google Google Doc, almost like a Google sign-up, where she'll list some information, and then you can always respond with, yes, I'm interested and available, maybe I want more information, or no, I'm not available. Um, so that's that's how our needs uh, right now are being met in the chapter. Um, and then the hope for uh, Kenneth and I is that we can become, because we know the families of our church um, well, where some of those needs we she could tell us about and we could um, reach out to individual families in our church um, that way. So that may be some of the way that it will shift, but as of right now, it's all on any, any safe family in the Denver area gets on this email list where you get the needs. And um, that's probably one more thing to say is Crescetta is having to serve as a bit of a siphon right now because if she were to turn it on, like like the needs are endless in our city, um, but we only have so many volunteers. I think we have 20 volunteers in the whole uh, Denver area, which is not a lot. And five of those come from our church. So we're making a really big impact in our church, but we just realistically and sustainably, like we, she can only let in the resources as we have people. So um, her personal goal is to have 80 families by the end of this next year where she can open up the siphon a little bit more. Um, So she's kind of having to teeter on that line um, just because... A lot, a lot of the family friend placements, you're making a commitment to walk with that family for like six months. And so like Kenna right now is in a relationship with, with someone for six months. So she's not going to have the cap- capability of taking on like four more family friend relationships. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Wow. And that, that is encouraging too. Five out of the 20 are from RP. Yeah. And, and, and imagine if that number continues to grow. Five turns into 10, turns into 20. Yeah. What if 40 families here were, were a part of this? Like, oh, taking the gospel and adoption seriously. Yeah. Um, any follow-up questions and thoughts for Lauren? We have plenty of time. We have the Q&As um, planned out. So if we, if we don't have any questions, we're going to end super early. And we don't want to do that. The question is, is it faith-based? I feel like Ryan could answer this question more. I would say, yes, Dave Anderson is a strong believer. If you look online, I think because they have to teeter so much on the, um, like, working with city officials and foster care placements and CPS and things like that, because a lot of our families have already got, like, CPS is on their tail. Like, if they, you know, um, yeah, usually some kind of case is opened on them. So... Yeah, it, it, is, it is Christian. It partners with churches. Um, but maybe some of the wording isn't as overt as, like, the theology of adoption on the website. <laughs> but, um, and, and, and I think some of it, like, in Denver, we got, I mean, it had to go to the courts just to get, say, families to operate in Denver because it was shut down from a government level. Um, for probably, well, Sandy and I learned about it with Rosario Butterfield back in, I don't even know. Four or five years ago? No, four, at least four years ago. Uh, and then it was probably two or three years in the courts just to get safe families because the state was like, well, we have foster care system. We don't need this. And so trying to, um, I think that is probably why if you go on their website, it may mm-hmm. not seem as overt, but it definitely is run by believers. And that's where they're recruiting. And wow. the, the hope is that this is like churches. the churches. Yeah. Yes, wow. doing it. Yeah. But we don't have all of the, obviously, um, like we're not foster care approved. Wow. We're safe family approved so there are some um like you have to have a home visit and things like that but yeah you don't have um some of the requirements that would be required for foster care like the parent has not lost custody of the child the child is in no way over to the state so you're not having to abide by that it's like literally like your neighbor dropped off their kid at your house and so you have freedom to practice your faith and live out all those things the parent is in this kind of like they need help so even if they weren't necessarily wanting those things like th- their need for help is somehow trumping it um so yeah like can i can probably share some of your examples of how you've done family worship alongside safe families and things like that how do families get connected with safe families how do they get into that program so there's a couple of different entry points for safe families and that's part of that siphon that Krishetta, our leader is having to always walk between because she can't fully open it up or we wouldn't be able to meet all of the needs in any way. We get a lot of referrals out of Joshua Station. That's one um, for sure referral place. Um, We, Denver Health for sure, I think probably the majority of hours that we have helped have come from Denver Health. Um, I know you've worked, you've gotten a few at the hospital, like, uh, like babies, I think maybe it's known in some way there. Um, So yeah, hospitals, social services, um, transitional homes, schools, yeah. Mm -hmm. So once it gets really large, like I think probably the Chicago chapter probably has just unlimited ways that safe families is known and that the entry points are there for the family. Um, Whereas right now in Denver, because we're so small and it took so long to get started, (laughs) I think that it's trying to open yourself up and make yourself known, but not overwhelm the system where we can't handle it all. Yeah, turn families away. That's cool. Yeah. Kenna, you're obviously someone involved with Safe Families as well. So um, 
can you just share some of your experiences in uh, safe families and, and who would you encourage to jump into this ministry as, as a host family? Yes. Um, so Ryan, my husband, and I have been serving for Safe Families almost a year now. Um, and we found out about Safe Families through the fees because we were part of their GC last year. And they were, um, that was the ministry um, of their GC. Um, and then we also got to see them faithfully serve um, in Safe Families while we were part of their GC. And so we were encouraged. And it was around the same time that we were actually, we were pregnant with our youngest, but we were praying about um, the potential of getting involved in foster care, um, which is still a desire that we have. Um, but we wanted to continue to grow our family biologically at this time. And so we were trying to figure out where the Lord might be asking us to go. And so um, Safe Families was just an answer to prayer for us and an open door. Um, so uh, after we said yes, we went through the, um, the, the whole sign-up process pretty quickly. Um, and since then, we've had a couple of placements as a host family, and then we've also had a couple of um, family-friend experiences. And so um, our longest placement was a little over um, two weeks. So the, most of the placements are pretty short. Um, every once in a while, you'll get like a longer term placement, but, um, so we had a seven-year-old girl, um, whose mom was in the hospital with pregnancy-related complications, and so, um, it was actually, it was hard because it was broken, so it was probably closer to three weeks, but it was broken up, um, because mom had got to get out of the hospital, and then she had to go back, and so the back and forth was really, as you can imagine, really hard for the seven-year-old, um, but she was a delight, um, and like Lauren said, we got to just invite her into our family, like she became a sister, um, she had sibling fights with our kids. And she, um, she just, yeah, she fit right in. So, um, and she got to participate in like our, our morning time. We sing hymns and we have family devotional times. And, um, so that was just a joy to be able to bring her into our family. Um, and then another really memorable, uh, hosting situation that we had was a four-year-old. Um, (laughs) this one was really unexpected. We did not um, think we were going to get him. So usually we get the Google doc, um, and fill that out. And I think that it came through and it was that there was a four year old and a nine month old cause he had a little brother. Um, and we didn't think we could, we have three kids, five and under and, um, taking two kids seems like probably too much for us at the time. So we actually said no. Um, and then Crescetta called me and was like, Hey, we haven't had anyone say yes to the four-year-old. Um, the nine month old has the need has been filled, but we need someone to take this world. And so I was like, yeah, I think we can do it. So, um, that day we went and picked him up or actually they came and dropped him off. But, um, and he, I, he was so fun and he just fit right in. He and our, my oldest son just were like fast friends. In fact, my son Colton still has a picture of the two of them in his room. Um, so it, it definitely was very impressionable for our kids. Um, but actually probably the most powerful situation was when I went to drop him off. I actually picked up his little brother and dropped them both off with mom. Um, mom was in a rehab facility where kids are allowed to be there, but she had to go through a detox program first. Um, which was for about a a week while he stayed with us. And so, um, and mom was having a really hard time with it. It was very, very emotional. So she'd never been apart from her kids. Um, So I picked up the nine month old and I took the two of them to um, the rehab center and just got to see this, um, this beautiful, really undescribable picture of what reunification looks like. Um, And just like that brokenness being made whole. 
um, which is the heart of Safe Families. And I think that's, that for me solidified, like, this is what this ministry is about. Um, and I think God created families on purpose, and he placed us in families on purpose. Um, and I think families are a visible sign of an invisible reality, that there is something, a, a greater glory that it um, beholds and represents. So um, Safe Families has just been an answer to prayer for our family of being part of that kingdom work. Um, and then, yeah, getting to serve as a family friend has also been really impactful. Um, yesterday, we had several volunteers from our church go and help my family friends um, in Denver um, clean her um, three-bedroom apartment with her three kiddos. Um, and it was maybe more work than we had and <laughs> had signed up for, but it was, it was really just, again, another beautiful picture of what this ministry can do. Um, so as for who can jump in, I say anybody can jump in. If you are a disciple of Christ and you have accepted the call to die to yourself and love your neighbor, then you can do this. Um, yeah, I, Ryan and I are by no means like the family that you would think would do this. (laughs) Um, in so many ways we're, we're not equipped for this, but God has been so strong in our weakness. Um, and we, yeah, by nature, I wouldn't say we're super hospitable, but, um, God has trained this muscle and is training this muscle in us. And it feels like every time we host, every time we have a kid that grows a little bit more. So God is, um, yeah, just faithful to do that. So, um, there is a place for you. When you're a safe family, are there requirements for a placement to have their own room? Yeah, that's a great question. So, no, um, we actually know families that they'll have their kids share a room, like, with the safe family child. We um, yeah, are blessed to have a, a, another bedroom in our basement, um, so we have had the older kids be able to stay down there. I could see having a younger kid, we might have to have them you know, closer in a bedroom, um, upstairs, but yes. So you are not limited by your, your sleeping arrangement. Yeah. Yes. It literally is like if your neighbor needed a place for their kid and all you had was the couch, but that was safer than the alternative. Like that's what it is. So you do have a home assessment, but in your home assessment, there's no restrictions on the state of your, unlike the amount of rooms or anything like that. Do you get any information about what kind of trauma a child has experienced so you know what is safe and appropriate for your family? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yes, she does give us as much information as she knows. Um, granted that might not be the full story, um, because there is maybe CPS involved. And so I'm sure there are details that have been omitted and left out. So, um, yes, and I think each family has to make that decision for yourself and what you feel would feel comfortable with. That was actually something else I wanted to say. Um, that was one of our biggest um, like fears, maybe going into fa- safe families or foster care, is like, what will this do to my own kids? Like, you know, that's just your you want to protect your your children. Um, and I can just testify to the fact that this has been one of the best things that we have done for our kids. Um, our kids have thrived. They have actually made doing safe families easier. Like, I think that having your own kids, where they become friends and they they have playmates. Um, so that has been a joy. And then also like our kids want to pray for these families. They, um, ask about them. Colton the other day asked me when we were going to have another child stay with us. So, um, but yeah, I think each family will have to probably just use wisdom and discretion to, to figure that out. Um, and depending on the age too, that, that factors in, but yeah, Crescetta shares as much as she knows. Um, but that might again be limited. 
add yes. one thing. <clears throat> one thing to add, um, there is a liability that you're coming up under, under safe families. So um, once you get, like, you're documenting your visits, and if you're acting within good faith of, you know, um, what you've promised to do under safe families, then you do you do have liability if there was ever any kind of lawsuit or anything like that. Um, what else was I going to say about that? Um, it has escaped me, but that that is there. And if you ever, oh, I know what I was going to say. If you ever get to a point with a family, like sometimes those families become so close to you through the course of your service that you're like, this is more like me taking care of Kenneth's kids. Like we don't need safe families to be the go between us anymore. That's possible too. And then you like don't have to start. You don't document visits anymore. Like it's kind of like comes out of the liability of safe families, if that makes sense. So you do have that that layer. If a crisis comes up in your own family, what would happen to a placement that is already in your home if you can no longer accommodate that child? Um, so Lauren can probably talk to this too, but actually the seven-year-old girl that we got was because the family who was keeping her before had to go out of town. Um, and so the, I think one, if it's going to be a longer placement, then it would go back to see families and they would resubmit the request. Um, but you can use childcare. Like you can have a babysitter come and I think you did that. So maybe you can. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I had, um, well, that's, that's the beauty of it being a church thing. Cause now we have a, a Slack channel and like Heather Rouse the other day was like, Hey, I'm needs, I need someone to cover this. So I stepped up and, and, and babysat the, the safe family kiddo. So that's one beautiful thing about us doing this as a church and doing it together is you're going to have a whole host of um, people within the church who could step in for your safe family placement and for your own kid placement. Um, but yeah, there is an option of um, there's, there's been times where like I took, where I took a, a placement and I had to tell the parent, I had to be like, well, I have to have a babysitter for my own kids. So I feel comfortable entrusting my children to this person. Do you feel comfortable with this person also babysitting? And that really has to, it doesn't have to be much more than that. It's, um, it's thankfully not as much red tape as some of some other things. Yeah. How has doing safe families impacted your marriage? That's a, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think <laughs> I think we're good. Um, <laughs> um, I will say there was yes. It's I think it's actually overall it has strengthened our marriage, and we've had to really had to have you know conversations and and plan ahead. I think um, probably the hardest part is actually the considering of which placements to take wow. um, because I think naturally like one uh, spouse will have a leaning to be like yes 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 and another spouse might have some more hesitations and so having to um, just really love one another well by being patient and praying for your dad and um, and being willing to trust when one spouse says no that it, that it would be bad for the other spouse to say yes anyway like you both need to be a unit united front on that um, but yeah, with having children there, like it definitely, it, it can be taxing, but in some ways I think we were, you almost have to be stronger. Like you have to be a more united front. You have to um, be stronger parents in that moment because you, you're you up against something. And, and I think the Lord just really is so strong in the weakness there and um, does provide, I think, just supernatural strength in those moments. So you might could speak more to 
I think for Ryan and I, it's just the constant. We never, I love talking about safe families and I love getting people involved. But when it comes down to like a kid's coming to my house this week, <laughs> like it is a discipline. <laughs> like I don't know how else to say it. Like we just have to discipline ourselves to do it because we know it's good and we know it's right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so a lot of times, you know, you just hope you don't both go down together. <laughs> You hope one of you is, like, able to hold on strong while the other one's not. Um, But, yeah, I think for Ryan and I, it's often, like, like our heart is there on a a big level. But, man, when it comes down to practicing it, we're just like, all right, let's die again. Let's Mm. let's die again. Let's do it again. So, yeah. And that way it's strengthening because you're becoming more like Christ, right? (laughs) How do you handle the emotions of short-term placements when they leave? Um, I think part of it is just the expectation going into it. And then also just the desire to see these families back together. Um, like even the family situation we were in yesterday, um, like it was overwhelming the needs. And of course we could bring those kids home with us and like they could have a cleaner living environment. They could have, you know, there's maybe some like physical things we could offer them, but we couldn't be their mom and they want to be with their mom. Um, and so I think just knowing that that's like what we want going into this helps. Um, and also like these kids, it's, you experience this too, but like they, they're crying for their parents at night. Like, so almost there's a relief for, for them when they do go home of being like, you are where you're supposed to be. Um, so yes, I I hope that maybe answered the question. Yeah. And I think Julie and John will come up next and they'll, yeah, Julie's shaking her head, so yes. she's going to be speaking to this as well. So Probably much more. You'll hear yes. more. The longest placement you can take by law with safe families is six months. So, like, a family at that point, if, if, if safe families, if, like, they're coming in for a short time, and if the parent is not ready to be reunified, then it needs to move on to the foster care system. Wow, okay. Yeah. So if it's, it's lim- that's just not even in the scope, you know, to, so it's something you kind of have to know going, going into it. But I think like, I would totally attest to what Kenna had, had said about how the parent, the kids are crying out for them, like the incarcerated mom. I got calls from the jail all the time because she wanted to know how her kid was doing and she was anxious about it. And it really is like, they really do love their children. They're just in a state of crisis where like literally them going to a stranger is better than what they can offer them in the moment, you know? So. How do you set the scene for kids in your family to help them understand placements? Oh, kids are the best. <laughs> they just, they really accept things so, so smoothly. But um, we've just used really simple words. Like um, we're going to have a, a kid come stay with us. A friend come stay with us. His mom needs some help or she's in the hospital or whatever. Um, and so they're going to come stay for, with us for a little while. And we're going to treat them like they are a brother or a sister. Um, and if we have time, we'll like pray for them leading up to them coming to stay with us. Um, and then like for Colton, he's five. So like he knows the word, you know, safe families. So we'll say like, we, we're going to have a safe families placement. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we prepare our kids, but they pretty, they're like excited. They're like, Oh, a new friend, like someone else to play with. That's so cool. they accept it pretty easily. Awesome. Well, why don't we transition now? Thank you guys. Why don't we transition to John and Julie? So, so you guys have been involved now in the, in the foster care 
system uh, for years now. So, so can, can you share with us the, the vision and even the, the goal of the, of the foster care um, system and, and what you are on mission to accomplish as, as a presence of Christ in that system? Sure. Uh, hey. Close. Okay. Um, so foster care. So I'll just break down like how kids end up in foster care and at our doorstep sometimes. So um, it's already been alluded to. So if a, a family is in a crisis and a call has been made to DHS, um, an investigation happens, they'll go out and assess the situation and see if it's safe for that child or oftentimes those children to stay at home with their parents. Um, I would say the majority of those times, those calls are, um, those kids are not removed. So it has to be really bad for those kids to actually be removed. Um, So sometimes a case is opened and they are given support. Um, The counties, so that's DHS. When I say the county, that's um, DHS. CPS, it's all different names, but um, the county's goal is to keep kids with their families. Um, So much trauma happens if kids are removed from their families. So if it is at all possible, they keep kids at home in situations that some of us would say that is not a safe place. But it has to be, like I said, really bad for these kids to be removed. Um, So oftentimes cases will be opened uh, the county is involved. There's supports given, possibly. They're linked with a safe family. Um, they're given resources so that those kids can stay home. Um, in very bad situations, uh, sometimes after a case has been opened and, and progress isn't being made, those kids will have to eventually be removed, and so the parents have some notification, um, and those kids are removed from that home. Um, other times, kids are removed immediately when they come out to do an investigation. And as you can imagine, that is very traumatic for the kids, for the parents, um, for everyone involved. So at that point, that child is in foster care. Um, and so to back up a little bit, so before they are placed in um, one of our homes, or if you get certified for foster care, uh, they do everything possible to see if there's any kin. And when I say kin in the state of Colorado, kin is family, so blood relatives. Um, It can also be a neighbor, a coach. Those are considered kin in the state of Colorado. Other states, it's only blood relatives, but in the state of Colorado, it is um, a church member. Um, Anybody that this child knows they have in Colorado, decided that it is better for those kids to go to somebody they know, which I believe is true, than to an unknown person. So um, if there is somebody that is safe, that is considered kin, those that child or those children will go to that home. Um, and so, and then a case is open. They're still in foster care, but they're in kinship care. Um, and so then there's a lot of rules around that. If there is none of that, if this family has nobody on their cell phone, um, the placement desk at the county will um, put out calls to available foster families, and you will get a call, and they will ask you, are you willing to take this child? Maybe it's tonight, maybe it's tomorrow, um, and you can say no, um, or you can say yes. (laughs) 
So that's kind of the, uh, so the goal of, um, even if a child ends up in your home, um, the goal is always reunification. Uh, it's funny because the county knows that it is better for these kids to be at home with their family, and that is God's heart too. Um, God's heart is for us to be with our families. And so they're um, unwillingly uh, doing what the Bible says in keeping these families together and doing everything possible to keep the child safe or the children safe, um, but to reunify this family. They know that that is the best possible outcome. And we are an adoptive family. We love adoption. Um, We see God's heart for adoption, um, but that is not ideal. So, um, unfortunately, that happens sometimes when the kids cannot go back home, but that is not the county. And so when you sign up for foster care, you are signing up to work with the county to get these kids back home to a safe place. Um, And so, I mean, you say our vision. Uh, I think our vision at the beginning of foster care was we just loved being parents. I loved being a mom. We couldn't do missions trips. And so we thought, oh, let's just bring these kids home like that. I love being a mom. Um, I didn't really think a ton about the families um, that we were going to be serving. I thought about the kids, uh, but it has definitely shifted in the sense that um, we've gotten to know their families, and um, so our vision is to support these families so these kids can go home, um, so these kids can be back home with their family as hard as that is. So, do you have anything to add to that? I think you did a great <laughs> Um, And I will make one plug really quick. Um, You guys already got trained for foster care. I don't know if you went through Project 127, but Project 127, it's out of Colorado Community um, Mm -hmm. Church. Uh, That's who started it. They're a great um, Mm -hmm. way to get trained. It's a Christian organization that um, the county will recognize their training and they will certify you through all of your hours that you do with Project 127. That information, there's a bunch of information in the back, and we can help with that. Um, but it, that really feels miraculous because you talk about safe families and these the merges between like the church and the state. They are an unapologetic Christian organization that is training up foster families and their trainings. I mean, one of our trainings was on like first Corinthians on how to love and the County accepts their training. And so, um, it's a beautiful way for the church to be involved. And we, and they say when we got trained through the County, cause project 127 hands you off to the County after you're done with your training, they're done basically their job. And the county said to us when we came as a Project 127 family, they said, we get the best families, the best foster families from Project 127. So what a beautiful representation of Christ in a very broken um, space, you know? So it's kind of cool. Next question. Um, As much as you guys feel comfortable, obviously, but can you share some highs and lows of your own experience with foster care and what the Lord has taught you guys through your experience caring for the least of these among us? Um, man, that's a tough question. Um, I feel like the lows and the highs, um, they coexist. Um, sorry. It's, um, yeah, for every low, there's a high, and vice versa. Um, I've seen God do some pretty um, miraculous things in lows. Um, 
but they definitely they coexist. It's hard to I feel like as a suburban dad, you're always just trying to um, have highs, <laughs> and so you know you want to win the game, you want this, you want that, um, but you're voluntarily walking into lows. Um, and when you're in those lows, you get to see highs that God um, graciously takes these events and just does some miraculous things. Um, but yeah, I think you can't really separate the lows and the highs because um, they, they play together in a weird way. Um, so yeah, I would say from what we've seen, and uh, there's plenty of families in here that have walked more miles than us um, in this space, but uh, yeah, the, the lows and the highs, when they, when they go together, um, there are things you never forget. Um, kingdom stuff, and maybe you could share. I can't, specific, I can't do so it. Yeah, maybe share just the Rhea thing. Okay. That'll be a good one. So. Okay. <laughs> this was his part, by the way, so this is... Um... Sorry, I'm not, this, this posture stuff wrecks me. Uh, gosh. Okay. So we got a call for a baby that, um, uh, she had four siblings in another state with Ken and the family, um, the parents at, when they were pregnant, they, uh, left the state where their other four kids were so that they could get away from DHS. So they left the state, came to Colorado, had the baby. Um, the baby was taken cause, um, she was exposed. And so, this aunt and uncle Ken, the Ken that I was talking about in the other state who had the other four siblings, they wanted this baby. And so we walked into this yes, knowing um, this was not going to be long-term. They, they, there's a lot of paperwork. And so they have to do a, it's called an ICPC where they move a child from one state to another state. So we said yes to be, to fill in that gap um, while this child was weaning and, um, from some drugs and different stuff and paperwork had to be done. So we said yes to her. Um, it was after we had adopted, um, our daughter. And so we thought, gosh, this is gonna be easy. Like we know what is happening. And so we said yes to her. Well, it was a sweet thing because we actually got to visit her in the hospital, which is very, um, not normal. I mean, Jen's a NICU nurse and kids go into foster care. And usually the foster family is not notified, notified until like the night before they're released, even if they've been in the hospital for like four months, you know? Um, so that part was a miracle in and of itself that Jonathan and I got to go and visit her and me more often. We got to go visit this baby in the hospital and, um, not because we thought she was going to be ours or because, but because we wanted to fill that space. We wanted to fill that peace and not just the nurses holding this baby. Parents were not visiting her anymore. Um, and so I got to go in and spend time with this little baby who was withdrawing from a lot of drugs in her system. And I got to hold her and I had a doctor tell me, you know, um, uh, as he's like giving her the medication to wean her, he said, you know, if you could be here as often as possible, Research shows that um, if you can hold this baby and if you can soothe her, um, it's the way God created us. If you can soothe this baby, she will wean faster than any drug that we can give her. And, and that is God's heart for his children. That's how he made us. Um, and so after he said that, I'm like, oh, okay, well, bye, Sadie Schaefer, Amora. Like, I got I to gotta take care of this baby, you know? And so I drive to Castle Rock often, you know, and hold this baby. 
And as I was there, we knew that this was where our daughter, who we had adopted um, about six months ago, we knew that that's where she was born. We didn't get our daughter until she was nine months old. She went home with her parents. And um, so as I'm sitting there holding this baby and doing what God told me to do, how he created this little image bearer, and I got to fill in and be that person for her, um, we got to fill in gaps of our daughter, Alora's story from nurses that delivered her. And um, so when we adopted Alora, one of the biggest and hardest parts was that first five months of her life. We didn't know where she was. Um, we knew she was home with her dad and sometimes with her mom, but we didn't know the details of her story. And I would plead with the Lord, like, God, just, I don't want to, I don't want to keep wanting this. I don't want to keep like desiring these details. I want to trust you. And, and his only answer to me was my eyes are on her. They always have been. They always will be. And that was all. And that was soothing. But like more, I, I was like, but I still kind of want details. Like, where did they live? Like one day she's going to be a teenager and she's going to ask like, where was I for those five months? And, and I kind of had to let that go. Well, when I was holding this little baby, Raya, She's now Abby. But when I would hold her, the nurses would come in, and eventually I said, you know, my daughter was born here. And and I said, and my story, you know, you're holding a baby. The nurses are there on long shifts. (laughs) And so we got to know each other, and they're like, yeah, I think there's still a nurse here that that was there. It was at that point two years ago. And so that nurse came in with tears in her eyes, and she said, I took care of Alora, and I saw her. Um when her dad walked out and my prayer for her was that God's eyes would be upon her. So at five days old, when she left that hospital, that was this believer, this believing nurse's prayer is that the Lord's eyes would be on her. And when Mark talks about a Messiah complex, I feel like the Lord showed me, I am not her Messiah. I'm not Sadie's Messiah. I'm not Schaefer's Messiah. Like, he is their Savior, and he's their Father. But I get to be a part of this miracle. I get to play a part. This nurse played a part. We're going to play a really long part in Alora's life because we get to be her parents forever. But we're not saving her from her brokenness. That brokenness happened, and the only one possibly that I'm going to be able to talk to about it is the Lord. You know, and um, and that's probably, I mean, God willing Alora's biological parents, they can be in her life one day, but that is going to be the only comfort I can give her is that God's eyes were on her and that he saw her. So I'd say that was a high for us. Um, Just knowing that the the God of the universe is near in these spaces. And um, I've done Bible studies and church stuff for 20, over 20 years. And I've never felt the Lord as near as when I've entered into this space. And I have to believe that he is close and that he does care. And, you know, I say, I wish that he was that close with a Diet Coke on the side of a pep, on the side of the pool, but he's not like he's there, but he's really there when you're like, like pleading with him. So I'd say that is a high and not to say that there aren't lows, because there are lows. And I would say our biggest low is, um, is the end of a case, and whether that's um, saying goodbye or um, even keeping our daughter, because that was a low, and it was hard. 
and we love her and adore her, and we know God uses all things, but we know that this is not going to be an easy road for her. And so it was hard. Um, and yeah, we had a baby for 14 months. We got her at a week old and we loved her and we love her. And, uh, we, um, got to send her home. She was part of that 57%. Where's Lauren? 57% of reunification. Um, and we were hopeful that that would happen, but there were times in that case when we didn't know if it was possible. Um, and not being able to have the answers for, um, for our kids when she went home and they were grieving and we were grieving and we were happy and, but we were heartbroken. Um, so I think that's a low, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. It is really, really hard, but the Lord is near and he's close and he is close to the brokenhearted. And when you willingly say, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Um, yeah, it's good to be naive, but you are walking into a lifetime of brokenness. So I hope I didn't scare anybody away. I didn't know about safe families. I feel like I would have done that. <laughs> I'm like, dang, that feels two weeks. <laughs> wow. Praise God. Thanks for, thanks for preaching right there, too. How do you help the kids coming into your home deal with the emotions of it being a low? Um... I don't know if I can answer that. We we take kids or we've taken kids that are younger than our youngest, so we haven't had like to be able to communicate with them, you know, like with babies and up to, I guess, two years or so. Um, but I, I guess the only thing I would say to that um, is your high is going to be their lowest low. <laughs> and um, being removed from a family is... Uh, obviously going to be their worst day, um, forever. So I think just walking that space of, and I, I don't know what kids you're looking to, what age group you're looking to, to bring in. And, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think obviously is you have kids that can communicate and share feelings and, um, just being respectful of that. Like you're just stepping into as a void filler right now and to love them, but, um, you can't take that role of their parent right away or should you, um, so I think just remembering that like you're high, cause I remember we would get excited too, like, Hey, we have a baby coming and you should be. And yeah, of course I think it's, yeah, it's great to be excited, but I think there's also that other side where we like the lows and the highs coexist. It's their low. And so being really respectful of that, if that, I don't know if that helps or not, but I think it's based on the age is a challenge too. Um, so we don't have a lot of experience with older children. Um, but yeah, I think it's just uh, remembering that they're at the bottom of the <laughs> of their life right now, and then you trying to, like you said, like the savior comics. Like you just don't want to be that person to them. You just want to kind of come alongside of them and love them, and then over time, hopefully, that'll develop. So, not sure. I would say, if possible, too, like um, being in relationship with their parents will open your eyes to the brokenness. So, if you have kids that aren't verbal yet. Um, it, it makes you realize like how broken the situation is. You know, when we got the one, our one week old that we had for a long time, I remember being on a zoom call with her mom and, um, 
she was nursing. And so, like, her baby was taken. And so, and I had her baby. And so seeing her on the other side of the camera made me realize, even though this one-week-old couldn't tell me, this is the worst day of my life, I could see it in her mom. And I knew, oh, this is the worst day of this baby's life. You know, that trauma will never, never be, I mean, fully better. Um, However, I will say that so much research is coming out about um, relationships being able to cure trauma, which is miraculous, and we shouldn't be surprised as followers of God, but truly, like, when there's this whole study called ACEs, I don't know if anybody, adverse childhood experiences, and, and if your ACEs are super high, and, you know, it leads to cancer and early death, I mean, it's very very sad. So if you read the reports, you're just like, oh. Um, and the higher your ACE score, the you know more likely you are for all of this stuff, which makes sense, you know. But they're finding that relationships can cure these um, adverse childhood experiences. And so if you bond to them, no matter how much that's going to hurt you if they end up going home, that is part of that reversal of trauma. Come on. Right? Like the way God made us, the fact that He came down, and that is what saved us is His relationship with us. That is exactly what is going to cure these kids' trauma, too. So I would say go all in and just be aware, you know, of yes, this is hard, but also bond, like, like bond and attach because God will care for you when they go home, if they go home. Um, but those pieces that the kids miss, if, if, you, if you're, like, being cautious, that, that's not doing them any good. So if that makes sense. And listen and, yeah, I don't know. What do you do individually and as a family to grieve when a placement leaves? What does that look like? Whew. Yeah. <laughs> a you lot want, of tears. Yeah, that's a good answer. You want to answer that? She said messy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, this one that we had for 14 months was really, I mean, you guys all know her. Most of you know her. Um, So she's part of our family. Uh, So, yeah, I think it it was interesting to see. So the other little one that I referenced before, Raya, we had her for about five months, and we sent her home, but we knew she was going home, so we attached well, and we got to her family drove out. Um, her aunt and uncle drove out and so they came to see her and, and that was really hard. And I remember Jen told me, um, Jen, my best friend, she said, like, we weren't created for this. Like we weren't created to say goodbye to babies, you know? And so grieve and grieve well, but no, God is with you in that, you know? And so that was helpful. It's always been helpful to know, like, yeah, this is not, this feels unnatural because it is unnatural. This is really hard. And so I try to, I try to model that for the kids and allow them to grieve the way they need to grieve. Um, for us, my oldest is 14, so it's 14, 10, and, and 5. And so when we take a placement, we all have to be all in. And so um, we are not ready for a placement yet. We're getting there, kind of. Um, and so, <laughs> Sadie's shaking her head. Um, and so <laughs> I think just allowing people space, the people in our family space and time. For me, it was really hard to be home because for over a year I was home with my that little cute bundle and she touched every part of our home. And it was 
it was hard for me to be home. Um, and so I needed to be out and I needed to, you know, do the things out. That was what I needed. Um, and for kids, it was different, you know, for them. So, um, yeah, a lot of grace, a lot of, yeah, tears and we're not there, but yeah, we're still in the process and how open is the spigot for foster care in Denver? How many kids, families, are in the foster care system? Yeah, um, I can, yeah, let me hold this. Yep. Um, so, you know, you get the different counties or whatnot, but like right now, I, you know, we, if you, once you get certified, you can have access to the portal that they have and see the placements, but I mean, it can range from 40 to 200 plus kids, you know, at all times in the queue. Um, and that's just in the certain counties. We're not even talking Denver, right? Um, so that's just like Arapahoe, the collaborative. So the collaborative is Arapahoe, Jefferson, Douglas and, and Jeff Jefferson, yeah. Douglas. So those three, and Denver's its own entity. So I'm talking just those three. Um, and they, yeah, they could range. I mean, we've seen it extremely high, and then also it can be in the 40s and 50s. But um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of kids. So the spigot is. Um, yeah, and that's why I love the beauty of the Safe Families idea because once they go in, like, man, mm. to come out is very hard, mm. you know? So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I think it's, there's a beautiful part in both of those arenas that you can play, you know? So, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's hard knowing, right, that there's so many kids out there um, that need a space. So um, I think playing a part in some capacity is crucial, you know? So... Do we have time for me to share one more quick yeah. hi? Yes, we do. No, we do. Okay, we do. so uh, hi. This is recent and so exciting. Um, so we got uh, Hope, so that she was the little one that we got at a week old. Um, so we got her and her older siblings, she has three older siblings, were already in another foster home. So they had gotten removed a few months before. Um, so mom and dad um, had Hope at home, and um, she unfortunately got removed after a week. Um, and so they went from three to none to one to none again. Um, and so obviously it was a really hard, hard time for mom. She was has had nobody at home. Um, and we walked through the foster care uh, journey. So it took a little over a year. We had Hope on our first birthday um, and sent her home at 14 months. So we and the boys, her older brothers, got to go home too. So a miracle of a story. They got all four kids back. Mom's pregnant too. So number five, we got to watch Hope, so babysit, for an overnight when her mom delivered her fifth child. Hope was at our house. And a little over a year ago, she was also at our house, but it was very different circumstances. We got to have hope. Her mom trusted us enough to take hope. The boys were at the hospital. Um, We got to have her when her mom delivered her fifth child. And we got to see hope meet her little brother. We got to see her mom have all five of her kids for the first time together and to load them all up in a minivan and take them home. And it was such a beautiful, redeeming story. I mean, and it is not easy. We're scared. We are scared about the pressures and all the things, but that was just this beautiful moment of like, Lord, you knew, you knew that they needed somebody. And we are humbled to know that we get to be that person to watch hope so that the family could be together while she's delivering all the things. And so, um, 
it was just, it, it was incredible. It was, it was like this side of heaven. I just don't know if there's going to be anything better than that, getting to witness that. And the Lord's just so kind to allow us to see that. Cause oftentimes after foster care, after, you know, you send a child home, the relationship's kind of done and God has just allowed us to stay in contact with them and, um, see them be a family together and to know how hard that was for over a year. And they're allowing us to stay in their lives. And, um, yeah, I would just encourage you guys, like as you guys, as much as you desire a child and a family, like there's no less desire for these parents. And so just being aware of that and that desire is good and it's God given and it's beautiful. Um, and it's the same desire that these families have. And sometimes it doesn't work, you know, but sometimes it does. And we got to see that. So it was really, really sweet. Yeah. And I will say one last thing. I know there are time, but, um, I just want to thank the church. Um, just even with this family, I mean, you made one call to some women and, um, for hope's brother being born, we had a gift showing up to our house. We're talking Santa Claus gifts that Julie was able to drop off downtown. Um, just the other day they needed some stuff for Christmas gifts, email goes to the church and we've got, I'm driving to Wash Park with like ornaments and stockings and like just such a cool space. And, um, we were at Wash Park with the family the other day and the dad finally opened up that, you know, he does believe in, in Jesus and he's made some bad turns. Um, and they're, we're hoping they're going <laughs> to come to church on uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Don't act like you know him. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's just been the redemption partner. It's just been, yeah. It, it's just been really cool to see. Um, yes. You don't have to. Do, there's just so many avenues you can play a part of, whether it's the gift or it's the, mm-hmm. you know, um, this foster closet that Sandy's been doing has been such. When I say lows and highs, like that was a low for us. Like we didn't you need stuff like to yeah. take care of these kids and then. The high of like, oh, mm. there's a foster care closet, mm. and these women are sorting for eight plus hours, and there's still another eight hours to sort. Like, of just so much <laughs> stuff that we have. Like, like this, the lows not they're just always together, and it's yeah. just really neat to see um, this church to step up in that wow. way. So, praise God. Well, thank you guys. It's a perfect transition into Sandy. Why don't you come on up? So, Sandy, you've been involved in foster care for a number of years as well with your foster care closet, which they talked a little bit about you've also been there to support and care for foster parents and so according to Paul you've been bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ so my question is how can somebody be a part of the foster care closet ministry and how would you encourage a church to link arms with those in the trenches fostering kids yeah Um, Thanks for getting me super emotional, Julie. John, super appreciate that. Uh, um, Yeah, so my little sister does foster care. She's been doing foster care for the last 10 years. And then, you know, we know uh, there's another family, the Wolgamuths, and then we knew John and Julie and um, the Steffs. And so we... um, it's so hard, you know, they're, um, they're grieving and they're struggling. And, um, I think for, for Brad and I, we were like, what can we do? You know, like we just in like practically, like what can we actually do? Um, and, and we had storage space and, and I loved 
to organize things. And so it was like, okay, like, it's, and it's such a silly, dumb thing. I, that's how I actually met Kendall. Um, you know, she came and got foster closet stuff. And, um, you know, I really, the church just donates all the stuff and, and we sort it and organize it and redistribute it. And, um, and I'm blessed, um, just, it's really cool because it started as a way to um, just come alongside in just a tiny, I mean, like, it's silly that I'm even up here because it's, like, the tiniest, dumbest thing to hold. Clo- it's just, like, it's just, like, bins of clothes. You know, it's just, it's, it is, like, it's this tiny thing, way to say, like, I'm with you, and, and if there's anything I can do to help, this is a practical way um, that I can help. But it's actually been really cool because um, right now, probably, so we, we started out with just like supporting like, you know, hey, the Stevens and the Steffs, come get clothes. We have a lot. Um, but then, it, you know, Jen started um, doing stuff for, uh, it's called craft. It's like this foster care and adoption in our community and she started posting and so then I had random people from our community coming, um, people coming a lot for um, emergency placements which just breaks your heart because you know the kids would literally come with like the clothes on their back and they need jammies for that night or they you know sometimes they would come to families and they don't even have a car seat and so um, you know our Redemption Parker just gives those things and like for me like I want everything to be like super organized and like spreadsheets but it's been amazing to see God just like miraculously like fill the needs like he just does it and and I I can't even think of a need where God hasn't just provided it you know and I'll be like I don't know if I have any 3T clothes and I go out and there is you know it's just um, you know because Megan Brick dropped it off you know two days before or whatever it is Um, and so it's just been really cool to just um, in a really easy practical way just um, come alongside um, families who are actually doing the actual work Um, and I would say just as a way to um, really come alongside, I think a foster care family might feel like, well, I made this commitment and I can do it. And, and so I'm going to power through. And I think it's really helpful as, as a support person to say, Hey, I'm bringing you a meal. Does Wednesday or Thursday work? Or, Hey, um, that baby that's not sleeping through the night, um, why don't you bring that baby over and, and go to your kid's game or take a nap? Like, you know, and just being a little bit pushy to, to push into that space to say, you know what, you can't do this alone and God didn't, didn't ask you to do this alone. We're in community. So let, let us help. And sometimes as a support person, being, being just a little bit more proactive to say like, Hey, I'm gonna help you. Um, so, so let me, please let me, you know, and I know like, with with the Steffs and the Stevens, like sometimes they're like, no, no, I'm fine. Um, they're not. <laughs> they're not. You know, like make the meal, watch the kid, get the clothes. You know, get some diapers. And, and they're also ministering to their own kids and their own families. And so just being there as a person who will babysit and not just will babysit, but is like forcefully babysitting, um, for them. I just feel like that's, that's what we can, we can do. And it's easy 
not easy, but it's, it's just practical. It's just what we, we should all be doing. And um, I feel like even like with safe families, that's been um, a lot of my, um, the resource closet, we, we changed the name from foster care closet to resource because over half of our needs are being met through safe families. And that's been awesome to, um, to deliver those and come alongside um, safe families in that way. Um, so we're, a, we're also a resource friend for safe families, um, which is awesome, and community. And so, you know, really anyone in need um, in the community can come and use that foster closet um, and, or resource closet. That's the new name, a children's resource closet. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's been, a, it's been a real blessing. Praise God. So many roles to play. <laughs> Well, and it's been really cool even for me to see, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, try to give your first and your best, you know, because this is, you know, for Jesus. And even, like, for me, we went um, yesterday, we did um, a Safe Families, and we cleaned, and then we gave bunk beds, and they were my kids' bunk beds. And I didn't realize I was going to be so sentimental until I got there, and, like, Cole and Ethan just moved out for college, and it was their bed, their, like, childhood beds. And when we first got there, the family wasn't there. And it was, um, it was, we walked into a really hard situation. And, um, and so at first I'm like, I'm just going to be honest. I did not want to leave my beds there. Cause I was like, <laughs> like, but they're not going to take care of it. There's going to be poop smeared on these beds. Cause there's poop everywhere, everywhere. There's a lot of poop. It's just, I'm just saying, I, this is being recorded. I almost said a bad word, <laughs> but you know, like, um, the, the kids ran in later. And so like, it was a really good mental exercise because I'm saying in my heart and in my mind, this is for Jesus. This is for Jesus. Like, this is for Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter who cares if this gets ruined. Like this is, this is a gift for Jesus. And we try to do that with the clothes too. You know, like this is for Jesus. What do we want to give Jesus? Like, do we want to give him the crappy stuff? Like, no, but it was so cool because when the kids ran in, oh my gosh, they were so excited about those beds. And, um, and then you're like, gosh, I'm such a jerk. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't even want to give you this bed. <laughs> I mean, I did, but then I didn't. But then I did again. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, and so we do, like, we want to give them um, the best. And so hopefully the foster closet gives, also just, like, provides that dignity to them. Um, and it's always the best when kids come into the foster closet and then it's, like, shopping. Because, yeah, like, they're having the worst time in their life, but man, they come into the foster closet and they got new shoes and your new clothes. And they are like, so excited. Um, I just feel like it can just be a little bit of joy for them to feel like, Whoa, I've never had new shoes. And so, man, if you guys ever are at target and you see like this, like leave the tags on because some of these kids are not used to getting clothes with tags on. So leave them on. I always leave them on because I just feel like it gives a lot of dignity when they're like, this is new. No one's had this before. And so, um, yeah, one way you can, yeah, you can donate if you're a shopper. I'm not, but if you are shop for me and, and I can tell you like it places we have need teens. I've had three different teens use their tithe to, um, fill in gaps where I, you know, Hey, I need shoes and they'll get new shoes. So that's the way you can serve. I serve from newborn um, up through, I mean, I have like men's smalls. Um, most of the needs that I fill are probably ages like 10 down, but I do keep bins for those older kids too. Yeah. Well, and we were talking about even at our last sort, um, like we made a little chart of like 
where our needs are. Cause you know, sometimes people want to help, but I'm, you know, they'll call me and be like, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't even know. But we, I, I am working on like a spreadsheet so that, and I don't know if that can be put on, you know, like our resource page, Ryan, or something where people can know like, oh, like the foster closet could really use infant car seats. And so we're going to provide that or whatever. Real cool. Sweet. Well, let's uh, transition back to Julie so you can close us out with the care portal. Just explain what this ministry is and how easy it is for anyone to get be a, be a part of it. Right. And really quick when you were talking, not to shame you, but like, don't you think that that's like God came down into our like poop stained house, right? Mm. Like so many parallels. Uh, preaching. She's preaching. Anyways. Uh, um, right. So uh, Care Portal. Okay, Care Portal is a really cool online platform that we just got started with and are excited about as a church to serve. So most of the families that they serve are the families like in the safe families realm that have not gone to foster care yet. Um, or they're, kin, they're with kin families who unexpectedly, oh, my niece just had a baby and I'm getting a baby and her three older siblings. And so they are not, they were not trained, they were not prepared. And so Care Portal is a way for these um, caseworkers, most of the time, most of the requests from case come from caseworkers. Caseworkers upload needs. So say they need clothing for an infant, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, winter clothing. They can upload the need into this really cool portal. That need is then sent out to anybody who's a responder. And so if you are a responder, you'll get notifications of a need in your area. And then the really cool part, because remember I said relationships can cure trauma, (laughs) is that oftentimes you get to take these clothes and deliver them to the family in need. So you talk with a caseworker, you say, hey, I'd love to deliver this to the family. And if they allow you to, you get to go and deliver this stuff to a family that doesn't have a lot of support. And so you get to, you know, step into possibly a new relationship. So that's basically what Care Portal is. It's a way, it's a really tangible way to to meet tangible needs. And sometimes it's not always clothing. It's yeah. sometimes like this single mom like needs help with um, patching holes in her house. And so sometimes it's manual labor. It's different needs in our area, tangible ways. Um, it's a it's a Christian organization. Again, we're like flooding the county, which is wow. awesome, and I'm all about that too. Yeah, so, awesome. praise God, praise God that that um, the church is not just the service on Sunday morning, but the church is the people. So, us talking about these things and, and, and being the church, caring for orphans in their trouble is is, is a pretty awesome thing. Um, since you've been preaching all night, you want to pray for us. I love praying more than preaching. <laughs> how many? How long do I have? How long do I have? Ten? One minute? Okay. <laughs> Father, uh, the fact that we can call you Father and we gather as your children is um, a beautiful reminder of, of how you created us. And so let us leave with that, with the reminder that... Um, that you care about us and it doesn't stop with us. You care about all of your image bearers. Uh, Remind us that um, there are children um, and families in need of your hope. And uh, God, this is the abundant life you promise in the brokenness that you are near. And um, it makes us long for eternity when there are no more tears and all needs are met. But that day is not today. So let us... um, 
in your love and by your grace and your spirit serve those around us that you have put in our path. Help us, Father, um, in our weakness because we know that uh, you care about us and you care about your children. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to our Redemption Institute podcast. You can learn more about Redemption Institute or any of our other ministries at redemptionparker.org. 